0: You're listening to World Talk Radio, where the world comes to talk.
1: This is Jerry Prokopovich with Civil War Talk Radio. After the Civil War ended, former Union officers formed an organization they called the Military Order of the Loyal Legion of the United States. A group of these mollusk members in Philadelphia saved artifacts and documents from the war, which eventually became a collection that would be the foundation of what today is the oldest Civil War Museum in the country. After many ups and downs, that museum is poised today on the brink of a new identity and a new future. We'll learn about it from our guest, John C. Rum, Executive Director of the Civil War Museum of Philadelphia on Civil War Talk Radio.
2: Hi, Tom Baudet from Motel 6 with a word for business travelers. Seems business has its own language these days, full of buzzwords, like buzzword or net net. And after a day spent whiteboarding a matrix of action items and deliverables, it's nice to know you can always outsource your accommodation needs to the nearest Motel 6. You'll get a clean, comfortable room for the lowest price, net net, of any national chain, plus data ports and free local calls, in case you tabled your discussion and need to reconvene offline. So you can think of Motel 6 as your total business travel solution provider, vis-a-vis cost-effective lodging alternatives for Q1 through Q4, I think. Just call 1-800-4MOTEL-6 or visit Motel6.com. I'm Tom Bodette for Motel 6, and we'll maintain the lighting device in its current state of illumination for you. Motel 6 and core Hotel.
0: World Talk Radio, bringing the world to you.
1: Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you from my office on the sunlit campus of East Carolina University on a Friday afternoon, November 2006. Starting as we do each week with the reminder that East Carolina University is not responsible for anything I say, or nor am I responsible for anything it does, and the same goes for our guests who always speak for themselves here. And also, as we do each week, a reminder that your donations are welcome. Last week's special appeal for donations, so I could take my wife out to dinner and pacify her for the hours I spend uh, preparing for the show and doing a show each Friday afternoon uh, was outstandingly successful special thanks to Ricky Hildebrandt of Massachusetts for a generous contribution and to all who donated I'm thinking perhaps uh, uh, soon I will have to ask everyone if I can get enough money for a pony uh, well a pony for my daughters it wouldn't be for me I would only ride it occasionally but we'll start the Pony Drive another time. In the meantime, though, if you do find the show uh, worthwhile and gain some benefit from it, do feel free to contribute to the uh, to the Civil War Talk Radio Fund, which is not a tax-deductible charity. It's really just for me. I buy books with it. I learn uh, more about the war so we can talk with more people on the show. Uh, today, uh, we're talking with someone who worked Uh, who is involved with the Civil War Museum. I've spent uh, nine years before coming to East Carolina University at the Lincoln Museum in Fort Wayne, Indiana, dedicated to the life and times of Abraham Lincoln. And uh, it is with uh, pleasure that I have invited today the director of the Civil War Museum of Philadelphia, Dr. John C. Rum, to join us. Dr. Rum, are you there?
0: I am indeed, Jerry. Thank you.
1: Well, I'm, I'm glad you could be here. It's uh, not often that we get to, uh, to talk museum talk on the show, so I'm glad we can do that. Uh, tell me a little bit about your your own background. How did you get to be the executive director of a museum?
0: Well, you know, I I backed into it, I suppose. I uh, I am not a Civil War historian. I'm not a card carrying Civil War historian. I am a uh, Ph.D. in history. I uh, Got my degree, my first degree was in history of science and uh, at Ohio State, and from there went to University of Delaware where I was planning to major in history of technology and did that at the, at the master's level. Um, and then for my doctorate, uh, got actually into American business and labor history, along the way picked up a degree in museum studies. I had been planning to teach history of technology when I went to graduate school, but uh, wound up working in public history, working as an archivist at the Hagley Museum and Library, working at the Smithsonian Institution. Um, I was a consultant to a number of corporations, and uh, that brought me up to Philadelphia, and through a series of circumstances wound up being at the National Constitution Center, where I was director of exhibits. And about two years ago, got the opportunity, a delighted opportunity, to uh, become the executive director of the what was then the Civil War and Underground Railroad Museum of Philadelphia and jumped at the opportunity to be able to, to reshape a museum that uh, uh, had been around for a long time uh, but really didn't have much of an identity.
1: Well, that's a fascinating career path and very common, I find, among people involved in public history and in museums and other non-academic areas of the field that, that, as you said, people back into it. Uh, I certainly didn't intend to work at a museum when I was working on my graduate degree, but the opportunity came and I took it and it uh, worked out well.
0: Well, it's, it's funny. I, uh, all through undergraduate school, I took advanced level history of science courses. As a graduate student, I took advanced level readings courses in American social and cultural history, history of technology, and never had uh, really any exposure to the Civil War and I remember vividly the the one opportunity I had I was with one of my professors doing a TA ship for him and uh, as it turned out it was because the department was looking to me to teach the American History Survey course well he got up to the Civil War and he said uh, I don't believe in war let's just say the Civil War happened and go on from there and so um, we literally picked up with Reconstruction in 1865 it wasn't until I went to the Constitution Center, and as I said, I was Director of Exhibits there, um, I, was, I was brought in really to develop a traveling exhibits program, changing exhibits program. and We uh, decided early on that we wanted to do something on Abraham Lincoln, and the timing was right, because Lincoln Financial, which you know certainly from the, uh, the Lincoln Museum as the parent of that museum, uh... with celebrating its centennial in two thousand five and it was a a happy marriage of uh... more than convenience i'd say we partnered with the lincoln museum and through the uh... very kind sponsorship of of the lincoln financial group uh... got a million dollar grant to develop the exhibit uh, which was on abraham lincoln the constitution and the civil war uh, and through that uh, you know i did like a fifth readings course for my uh... for a phd i read Intensively on Lincoln's history, his biography, wound up uh, feeling that I wanted to know him personally, and so I, I read every bit of the collected works and most of his uh, correspondence at the Library of Congress's American Memory website, and it was, it was a really edifying experience. Got me fascinated in him and, by extension, in the Civil War.
1: Yeah, Lincoln is certainly uh, a fascinating character to get to know through reading his own collected works which Absolutely. Uh, are, are available both online as well as printed. I found when I did that after joining the, the Lincoln uh, Museum in Fort Wayne that that he was the first historical figure that the more I learned about him, the more I continued to uh, respect and admire what he had done. Uh, typically, you read about historical figures and you discover their their feet of clay, their various human failings. Not to say Lincoln was without human failings, certainly, but uh, he really did largely live up to, uh, the, to, to the reputation that he still
0: has today. Oh, absolutely. I, you know, uh, I remember hearing a presentation one time by the great historian Arthur Schlesinger, Jr., after reading The Age of Jackson, and he uh, essentially was arguing there that the time has made the man. and. Uh, uh... made the same point and then you know I, I asked him is it, is that really true or do the uh... does the man make the times and i think in lincoln's case it was a bit of both he uh... uh... it's hard to imagine anybody else doing what he did on the other hand uh, lincoln himself never would have dreamed uh... even a year before becoming president that he would have wound up where he was uh... uh... would we have been better off with anybody else who knows but but thank god for what he did
1: so you worked on the exhibit about Lincoln at the, right. uh, the National Constitution Center. Yeah. And uh, from there, uh, uh, in 2005, you became the executive director of the uh, what is now the, the Civil War Museum of Philadelphia. Yeah. Let, let's talk about that institution. What?
0: Um, well, as you what, said in your introduction, I, I don't have to say the entire name again, which is good. But it was founded by Malles. Uh, This group, which was organized literally days after Lincoln's assassination, a group of uh, military officers, commissioned and non-commissioned, in Philadelphia, were very concerned that the, uh, the assassination of Lincoln and the attempted assassination of Seward may have been the last act of the Confederacy to topple the government. And so they called themselves the Loyal Legion because they were very concerned that if indeed this was the case, they, they would be there to uh, to defend the Union one last time. And uh, when it became clear within a few short weeks that the conspiracy was fairly limited and it was not a uh, uh, at least an overt attempt to topple the government, then they focused more on what was really their abiding interest, which was making sure that people understood what the war had been all about. I think they were very prescient in um, realizing then that uh, there was, uh, at that early time, still not much agreement about what the war was really all about, and we continue to argue about that today, but they wanted to make sure that uh, future generations would remember the sacrifices that they and their colleagues had made and what uh, what it had all been about in terms of the uh, the effort to defend and preserve the, uh, the Constitution and the Union. Um, mm-hmm. More importantly, from yeah. my standpoint, in terms of our museum, what they committed themselves to was to save uh, their memories, both in physical form, in terms of artifacts that they had collected, relics, battlefield relics, things that they had used, their, their, their swords, their, their rifles, their um, uniforms, their kepis things that they acquired, um, things that they wrote, their letters, their diaries, or things that they had read, their books. Um, some people saved only a few items, some saved entire libraries of things, and uh, these collections that they were gathering as the, the Malas membership grew, the collections grew, and... Uh, they kind of bumped around Philadelphia for a while without a home. They were at the Union League of Philadelphia for a while. They were in other parts of the city. And uh, finally, in 1888, the Malles members decided that the time had come to formally organize a museum, which they did. They called it the War Memorial Museum and Library of the Military Order of the Loyal Legion of the United States. I'll try putting that on a business card. Yep, that's a good one. Um, And tried three times. Uh, unsuccessfully, as it turned out, to launch a capital campaign with uh, the promise of matching money from the state. It's eerily reminiscent of the position that the museum is in today. We are about ready to launch a capital campaign with the promise of matching money from the state of uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, but they failed three times, and then ultimately in 1922 wound up purchasing a house uh uh, and the museum occupies this house in uh, Philadelphia near Rittenhouse Square and has been there, as I said, for over 80 years and really hasn't changed since 1920.
1: Uh, let me ask a bit about Mollus, before we go too far ahead with the uh, museum. Eventually that became a national, or at least a, a, an organization throughout the North. That's right. Uh, so, Was was it founded? Was the Philadelphia group the original?
0: The, the, the Philadelphia group was the original one, and... Um, they organized uh what in effect was the national headquarters of Malus and then proceeded to also organize a, what they called a state commandery and a number of other states quickly followed suit. You had uh, commanderies organized for example in new york Massachusetts uh, Rhode Island, and so forth and um it it spread relatively quickly, i think uh within, uh, if I remember correctly, within about 10 years they had gotten 8,000 or so members. uh, Again, restricted to military officers commissioned and non-commissioned from the Army, the Navy, and the Marine Corps. Um, There were also some honorary memberships, Presidents of the United States, uh, for example, Rutherford B. Hayes and uh, Chester Allen Arthur and so forth. Um, But it, it was, in some ways it was an elitist group, it was certainly um, very different from the Grand Army of the Republic, which was much more widespread. Uh, most Malus members belonged to both, but uh, very few members of the G.A.R., the enlisted guys, uh, could not uh, become members of, of Malus.
1: Well, Malus apparently had meetings where the members would read papers that That's they had right. and, and, uh, their experiences.
0: Uh, in fact, those have been uh, collected and they have been republished. Uh, it's, I forget the exact number of volumes. It's roughly 60 or 65 volumes. Each state commandery would, in effect, commission different members to publish their reminiscences, write up the reminiscences and publish them. And they're they're really pretty remarkable. And I think they are not as well known as they should be. They're a, a, just a, an amazing resource of information. I, I was looking at uh, some of the papers yesterday to find out about the uh, U.S. colored troops, and was very surprised that there are um, probably a dozen articles uh, that deal with uh, uh, reminiscences of uh, officers who commanded U.S. colored troops or reminiscences of people who were involved in uh, uh, recruiting for U.S. colored troops and so forth. Uh, Considering the way Malas originated, and and, as as I said, it was a rather elitist and certainly a very uh, Caucasian organization, I was actually very pleasantly surprised to find these papers, and then they're very uh, laudatory in terms of commending the experiences and the contributions that African-American soldiers made. Um, I
1: I would certainly concur that the the Malas papers are are a a fabulous resource, and as you say, they're published, uh, good libraries will have them, or, or you can obtain them.
0: Yeah, so, I think some of them have been uh, made available online. I, I don't want to state that unequivocally, but, I, but they deserve to be better known than they have been. And, they, and again, I'm uh, grateful to MALIS, to its, its members for their, their foresight, and particularly those members who did take the time to write up the reminiscences, they're, they're really uh, remarkable that, uh, that they did uh, generate them and that we have them today.
1: They're 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 fun to read. I I picture since most of them are delivered at these meetings, presumably an after dinner kind of setting, uh, to the fellow officers that they tend to be uh, entertaining, not not exclusively. Certainly, some are are quite serious. Uh, Some have political overtones, and they're all. uh, I'm trying to think of the right verb. They're affected by the passage of time in that they are reminiscences. But that ties in, I think, with your original point that this organization was formed to preserve uh, the memory of the war and, and what the war is about. And as these members age through the 19th century, they are fighting to keep a certain memory of the war alive. And that would tie in with what you just said about the African-American participation, uh, that, that would not, they would not want that forgotten mm-hmm. at a time when uh, others are interpreting the war very differently.
0: Yeah, and you know, certainly uh, David Blight talks about this in terms of um, uh, race reunion, and other authors talk about it as well. There was a lot of tension about, uh, again, the disputed legacy of the war in the 1870s, 1880s, 1890s, um, efforts being made literally to uh, and and figuratively to whitewash the cause of the war, to uh, forget about the war being about slavery and to focus on reconciliation. Certainly Malas members were involved in that, but it's, it's I think, um, very telling in a way that there were at least some members of Malas who were taking pains to point out, again, the contributions that the U.S. colored troops made, that uh, the, the enlisted people, to give them credit for what they had done, too, uh, and, and to champion—they they were unashamed about this—to champion the cause of the Union. Uh, there were some Mollus members who were very active in promoting reconciliation, but there were others who were adamant that uh, you can't uh, veneer ne- over this uh, this kind of lost cause idea that they just mi- dismissed that out of hand. Is uh,
1: Mollus still around today, or was it only open to
0: officers? They are, they are indeed today, and it's now becoming a, a hereditary Membership organization open to uh, sons and descendants of uh, veterans, but it's it's also there. You can be an honorary member. You can be an associate member, and it's still in existence today. As uh, several thousand people who are active in it.
1: Interesting. It it, it makes one think of the Society of the Cincinnati and all the. It
0: was modeled on that very much. So they certainly the people who formed it had that model very much in mind back in 1865. Well, we're going to take a short
1: break now and come back in a few minutes and talk more about where the museum is headed. Our guest today is John C. Rum, Executive Director of the Civil War Museum of Philadelphia. We'll be right back on Civil War Talk Radio.